our guests, thank you for being here. If you're visiting with us, we want you to come back and worship with us anytime that you have an opportunity. I uh, hope you took the time to pick up one of our bulletins. It's got an updated list of the sick and some other information. So if you didn't get one, be sure and get one before you leave. I want to remind those that are going to Exposure Youth Camp that your payment, $55, was due this past Sunday. And uh, please pay this by this coming Sunday or see Drew to make arrangements for that. Also, we have a pie supper coming up on Tuesday, November the 21st, following our special midweek Thanksgiving devotional. A lot of our men are going to be participating in this, so let's look forward to that. Also, those who adopted a soldier need to pick up a box in the church office and uh, be sure to sign the list, and those boxes need to be turned in by November 26. Also, if you would like to honor a loved one during the holiday season with a contribution to one of our ministries, there are forms available in the foyer, and if you could turn those in by December the 3rd, uh, that would be appreciated. Uh, the Golden Circle is going to be taking a trip, a one-day trip, to the outpost as well as to visit the Tennessee River Museum on Thursday, November the 30th. The bus will leave at 9. It'll return in the afternoon. If you'd like to go, there's a list back in the foyer. You can sign that. I think we have 17 that have signed up or 19 that have signed up to go thus far. Uh, ladies, you're going to be having an ornament exchange on Sunday, December the 3rd at the Elliott Home following evening classes. Uh, all ladies are invited. There'll be more details later. I want to remind all those in the Freed Hardeman Associates that uh, you will be meeting tomorrow night in the Annex at 7 o'clock. And Girls' Day is coming up at Leoma this coming Saturday. Uh, you need to sign the list tonight if you plan to attend or see Carrie Parsons for additional information. Also, our food pantry and clothes closet will be open tomorrow from 9 until 10.30. We had 130, a record uh, for one day that came last week. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. Uh, I figure there'll be a lot of folks that'll be coming tomorrow. And uh, this past month in October, we helped over 201 families uh, with food and clothes. And so uh, there's a lot of folks here that are involved in this. Uh, a lot of our ladies and others that help in the clothes closet as well as the food pantry. And uh, for all those that do help with this, you know, your efforts are much appreciated. And if you would like to come and see what it's all about, we'd love for you to come tomorrow and be with us. Hope you'll plan to come back this coming Lord's Day. Uh, we'll have worship service at 930. We'll have uh, very good Bible classes for all ages beginning at 5 o'clock. And uh, we'd love for you to be a part of our services then. For our devotional tonight, Brandon Elliott's going to be leading our singing. Brother Doug Greenway will present our devotional thoughts. And Brother Jonathan Farr will lead our prayer. Let's now enter into our devotional. If you want to mark number 915 for later, that'll be our invitation song, 915. If you have that mark, turn to number 589. 589. What a fellowship, what a joy
Good evening. The devotional I can handle the five to seven minutes I'm not so sure about, but I'll do my best. In a moment, we'll read uh, Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16. And you might turn there because it's a great verse. I've always admired people who, when they failed at something, they got up again and they tried one more time. I sometimes fail and I can be really hard on myself when I fail. And it seems like there's always somebody watching. I mean, what's the first time we do when we fall down? We see who's watching. And uh, hopefully no one sees us fall or fail. But if we were to survey the audience tonight, I believe that we would discover that the, the two most common reasons that we ever doubt ourselves are, first of all, our past failures, and secondly, our fear of failing again. But that brings us to our key verse tonight, Proverbs 24 and verse 16, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Now notice first of all that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you won't fall, that you won't fail. We're not perfect. It says right here, the righteous will fall. Secondly, it says that God never intended for us to stay down. So instead of giving up, the good Lord empowers us to get up, dust ourselves off, use our support system, ask God to forgive us, confess whatever fault we've made, if that's involved, to whoever's involved, and try again. <clears throat> Even seven times. Somebody said, what's, what's that all about? Psalm chapter 37 and verse 23. The steps of a good man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Did you get that? Let me back up just a minute. Proverbs 24, 16. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. You fall, what you're going to do, then what you're going to do. So it's not what happens, but what happens to what happens to you that tells our life story. And I need your cooperation as I'm winding down, and I am winding down. Listen with your brain and your eyes and your ears. I want to read something to you, and it'll sound sort of familiar here, but at a certain point, I'm going to hold my hand out like that, and you, just to yourself, or you can say it out loud if you want to, it won't offend me, but it might even help you, but anyway, say it to yourself. The steps of are established by the Lord when your name Delights in the Lord's way, though your name falls, your name will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds your name. 
I think God wants us to remember that following him is not about avoiding failures and being perfect. He acknowledges our weaknesses and encourages us to become more dependent on him. So I'm just wondering tonight if there are areas in your life where you feel you are failing and you feel like giving up. Identify them, pray about them, share them with a friend, and most importantly, depend on God more than anybody else. I want to close with one verse, Proverbs chapter 73 and verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So what do you need tonight? Maybe you need to be affirmed by this group, your brothers and sisters in Christ, because somehow you failed or you've fallen and you just don't have the strength to get up and go on. Maybe tonight's the night that you repent of your sins, confess your faith before this audience, and are immersed in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe we just all need to respond that next time I fall, I'm going to get up even seven times. Whatever your need might be, as we stand and sing, we invite you to come. day blessed with on this earth and thank for another opportunity we're allowed tonight to gather together and worship you and spend some time and thought with your word and just help us to pay attention and to be able to maybe 
take something back. We can use it in our everyday walk of lives. As you spit those sick and need in your prayers, please the leaders of our communities, of our congregation, our government, Lord, and help them make the decisions that are best for us. And please with all the serious issues going across all around the world and just help the best to be resolved through there. Thank you for the many blessings you have given us and it helps us never forget all that you have done for us, Lord. And most of all, thank you for your son dying on the cross in the midst of our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As the teachers make way to class, we'll sing one verse of Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, this I know. Doug Greenway was talking about, you know, falling a minute ago. You know how you can tell the difference between if you're young or old? If you fall down and everybody laughs, you're young. If you fall down, they come running to check on you, you're old. So, huh? Yeah, uh, somebody's passing them out. Yeah. Chopper's passing those out. So that's fine. Anybody need a lesson for tonight? We're going to finish up this lesson real quick tonight.
Again, thank you all for being here tonight uh, as we uh, have these lessons on how to make our lives more meaningful. I think we want to live meaningful lives. But uh, before we get started, I want us to uh, have a prayer, if that's okay with you folks. So, will you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful day you blessed us with. And Father, so many that we know that are sick, that are in our thoughts right now, Father, that we are aware of. We, we pray that you'll be with each one of those, and especially those that are attending to their needs, the doctors and nurses and caregivers. Please bless each one of them, Father. And I know, Father, this time of the year, uh, grief is very difficult and hard on many individuals. We pray that you'll comfort and strengthen those who are grieving over the loss of loved ones. Father, we ask your continued blessings upon the church here at Boonville, upon each member, upon our leaders. May we continue to be a shining light in this community. Father, please bless us in our Bible study tonight. May we open up our hearts and minds to your word and try to make some things that are needful applicable to our lives. Most of all, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I think about a Sunday school teacher that was discussing the Ten Commandments, you know, with her uh, five- and six-year-old kids. And after explaining the commandment to honor your father and mother, uh, she said, Is there a commandment that teaches us how we ought to treat our brothers and sisters at home? And without missing a beat, one boy raised his hand and said, Thou shalt not kill. So... Uh, that was pretty insightful, I guess, of that boy to make that observation. Of course, last week we began a study about how we can put more living into our lives. We began our uh, discussion last week how that God wants all of us who are his children to live a full, meaningful life. He wants us to live an abundant life. He's made provisions for that. And, of course, the provision... The main provision he's given us is Jesus Christ, right? Jesus said, I come that they might have life and have it how? More abundantly. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And uh, if we're going to know the abundant life now as well as the eternal life in the hereafter, there needs to be developed within our minds an appreciation for what it actually means to live an abundant life. And we defined that last week. We looked at the word abundant, and uh, we kind of compared that with the word bare and so forth. Now, there's a lot of people out there that seemingly are confused about what constitutes an abundant life. Some people think, you know, an abundant life is found in fame or fortune, right? If I could just have a lot of money, you know, I could really live an abundant life. Uh, or, you know, if I could just be well-known in social circles, then I could live an abundant life. Or an abundant life is found <coughs> in uh, living a long life here upon this earth. And yet, we pointed out how that Jesus Christ... You know, nobody's made a greater impact on the world than he did, and he only lived on this earth for some 33 years. And so it's not the number of years that we live, uh, but it's how we live the years while we're upon this earth. We emphasized last week before the uh, bell rang, there are a number of factors that are absolutely essential for us to enjoy the blessings of putting more living into our lives 
We first of all pointed out how that we must have a center reference point in our life as Christians. And what is that center reference point? Y'all remember? Jesus Christ. He is our reference point. He's somebody that we can always come back to. We also pointed out how that if we're going to uh, live a meaningful life, we need to have an optimistic outlook on life. You know, there's a difference between somebody who's optimistic and somebody who's pessimistic. The optimist says, if I don't try, I can't win. The pessimist says, if I don't try, I can't fail. So, you know, we've got to be optimistic. And, of course, we spent some time last week talking about how we as Christians have more reasons to be optimistic than any people living on the face of this earth. You know, we have God's promises. We have God's assurances. We have God's blessings. We talked about Romans 8 and verse 28. All things work together for good <coughs> to them that love the Lord. And so uh, we need to try to have that optimistic attitude that is a, 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 like a magnet, a drawing power from those out in the world uh, to us today. And then, of course, uh, we need to have peace of mind. Uh, if we want to live a meaningful life, peace of mind is something that everybody wants, don't they? You know, we want to be able to go to bed at night and have peace of mind. And there are four essential factors that we begin discussing that will allow us to have that peace of mind. The first one we mentioned was we need to be able to listen to God carefully. And how do we listen to God? Through his word, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. We need to be quiet and listen to God and listen to God's word and uh, try to allow that word to lead us in the way that we go. Also, to have peace of mind, you know, I need to reach back and examine my heritage. Uh, I need to reach back and think about <clears throat> how I got where I am today. You know, somebody <clears throat> said one time, if you see a turtle on a fence post, it didn't get there by itself, right? What does that mean? Somebody put it there. You know, we are what we are basically because somebody in our past has influenced us, right? And we have more influence than we will ever know and ever begin to realize. I found out, and I had totally forgotten about this, in one of my first works in Jasper, Alabama, I was worked for 10 years with Blackwater Macedonia near Jasper. And, of course, at that church, I was the preacher. I was the youth minister. I was the church secretary, you know, the bulletin preparer and everything. We had about 30, though, in our youth group, and I enjoyed that. You know, we would, uh, <clears throat> I would help the young men prepare lessons and things of that nature. I got a call just out of the blue from <clears throat> a place called Wakeham, Oklahoma. You know, David Daly called. Uh, he was in my youth group then. David's gone on to be an elder in the church and uh, over near Tuscaloosa, but uh, I guess he had a son that moved out to Oklahoma to work on one of these ranches. And I guess as he had gone out there and visited people and visited his son, they asked him to preach like on Mother's Day when he was there and on another day, and they liked how he preached. And, you know, they said, well, would you like to move out here and be our preacher? He said, well, the only thing I've ever been taught about preaching is what my preacher, Doug Smith, taught me several years ago, you know, and he went on to point out, hey, Doug, do you remember 
so-and-so. There's about six guys in that youth group that went on to be preachers, you know, and I'm not going to take credit for, you know, solely for that, but I'd like to think I had a part in that. I hadn't even thought about that since he had brought that up, but there were about six young men in that youth group that are now preaching the gospel in other places, and he says, you know, all I ever have known about how to prepare a sermon was when you helped us prepare sermons, and so he just kind of wanted my help and some ideas and things of that nature, and so, you know, we've been communicating and, and so forth, but I'm, what I'm saying is you just never know how you're going to impact somebody else. You just never know that. So we need to look at our heritage and be thankful for our past. Don't live in the past. We can't do that. But we need to appreciate the past and allow the past to motivate us to continue on for the future. Also, we need to identify and understand our own motives. You know, a lot of people have the attitude today, grab it while you can, right? Go for the gusto. If it feels good, do it. You know, <clears throat> a lot of people just are unsure of their motives or their convictions. And so uh, we need to understand our priorities, and we need to make sure that our priorities are such that are worthwhile and that we don't get sidetracked from those things. And then what I began to talk about last week is if we're going to have this peace of mind, we have to avoid the tendency to waste our time and energy in worry. Now, worry is something that's difficult to overcome, isn't it? And worry is something that if we're not careful, it can kind of overcome us like a cancer in some ways. It can actually control our emotions. It can even have physical impacts on our health and so forth. I think about what Paul said about worry and being anxious in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Paul said, be careful, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. <clears throat> and then it goes on to say, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In other words, we let our worries be made known to God. Don't worry about it. Pray to God about it. And in doing that, the Bible says, the peace that passes all understanding shall keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I think about a verse like Philippians 4 and verse 19 where Paul said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, when you read a verse like that, when you think about all the verses that talk about God's blessings and God's help and God's assistance and God's willingness to help us, you know, in matters where we're weak, it ought to really motivate us to turn those things that, you know, are out of our control over to God. You know, we worry about a lot of things, don't we? We worry about things in the past, things that we can't do anything about, right? We also worry about 100,000 scenarios in the future that may, may, may or may not take place, right? We just don't know. Uh, you know, the Bible emphasizes the fact that what we need to do is just take care of today. Take care of right now. You know, we've got enough to take care of today without bringing in tomorrow's troubles and yesterday's troubles and so forth. And so, 
you know, building a stronger faith in God, a stronger trust in his promised blessings, a stronger love for him in our hearts will be invaluable to us in overcoming worry. Uh, I, I like this little poem uh, that emphasizes, you know, how we as humans worry. You probably heard it. It's called The Robin and the Sparrow. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they don't have a heavenly father such as cares for you and me. So I, I thought that was a little interesting poem to illustrate how we who should know better, you know, uh, we oftentimes worried, we're overcome by things that we shouldn't be worried about, you know, to the extent of our own spiritual health and our own physical health. So if we're going to have peace of mind, we've got to overcome worry. And then I want to move on to the last point here. When we put more living into our daily lives, it will help us to stop being critical of others. You know, the Bible, I mean, not the Bible, but, you know, there's an old saying, an idle mind's the devil's workshop. You know, the surest way for us to start bickering uh, toward one another and being critical and fault-finding is for us just to become idle. We're not really working for the Lord as we should. We're just kind of prodding along and keeping house, not really busy. First thing you know, we start, you know, criticizing one another. And uh, we need to avoid that, being critical of other people. And if we are intent on making our lives fulfilling, we need to understand that we need to be more tolerant, more patient, more understanding of other people. Uh, criticism and fault-finding is destructive, perhaps more destructive to the person doing it than toward the person uh, who are the objects of it. Unless we stop being critical of others, uh, we're going to find our lives are going to be minimally uh, meaningful to us. We just can't have that critical, fault-finding type of spirit. And we ought not permit uh, others to, you know, criticize uh, other people to our ears as well. We need to be careful about that and realize that we ought not be a part of that. And uh, just as soon as, you know, we're not really working for the Lord, we start criticizing one another, you know, you're going to have trouble in the body of Christ, and we certainly need to avoid that. Also, putting more living into our lives requires some very demanding and difficult attitudes be developed. These are on the bottom of your sheet there. Number one, we have to develop the attitude within ourselves that will enable us to admit when we're wrong. What happens when you find out you've been wrong? Well, somebody says, I never have been before. Huh. Well, you know, uh, we've got to develop that attitude that when we're shown wherein we're wrong, we need to be willing to admit that humbly. Number two, we need to develop the attitude within ourselves that convinces us of the fact that the, earth, the other person may have his point of view on any subject, and we ought to be willing to listen to that person. We ought to be willing just to listen to them. And also, we must develop an attitude within ourselves that requires us to forgive those who wrong us and not, you know, hold grudges against those, you know, because of the wrongs. And we're going to talk about some of this in more detail as we go through this class. 
And then lastly, we must develop the attitude of mind that will eliminate the restricting force of fear. You know, fear will deprive us of real joy in living the Christian life. And we need to avoid that paralyzing attitude of fear. And so putting more living into our daily lives promises blessings that we can only dream of. I want to live a meaningful life. I want to have a fulfilling life. These are some introductory matters that will help us to do that. But you see, it's my choice, isn't it? I have to make the choice as to whether or not I'm going to do these things and that I'm going to live a meaningful life. But also keep in mind that this meaningful life only is applicable to those who have a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's only applicable to those who are true disciples of Jesus Christ through our obedience to the faith. When we obey the gospel, we're immersed in water, we become a New Testament Christian. You know, these promises are made to faithful New Testament Christians. But I have to make the choice as to whether or not I want to make these applicable to my life. All right, any comments on that before I move on quickly? Anything y'all want to add to that? Be sure and speak up. Well, so far, so good, isn't it? <clears throat> By the way, we had a, got a text. We had 115 in our college class tonight, so that's higher than it's been in a while, so that's good. All right, let's move on to our second lesson tonight. You have that lesson sheet there. This particular lesson is going to have to do with facing choices, making decisions, is easier when we have the goal of a meaningful life before us. You know, every generation of the human family has, I believe, at least one thing in common, and that is the problem of making decisions. You know, some decisions are easier than others. Uh, we have some difficult decisions that we have to make in life. The decisions that we make oftentimes and will, in fact, influence other people, won't they? You know, sometimes people have the attitude today, I can do with my own life what I want to do. I can make my own decisions because it's just me. Well, as I tell young people, it's not just your decision. Your decision affects not only you, it affects your parents, it affects your siblings, it affects your friends. It impacts a whole circle of people. And so I can't ever put myself on an island and say, well, my decision only is going to impact me. You know, the less clear-cut the choice between good and bad, the more difficult the decision actually is going to become. And I think this continues to be a problem faced by all of us in our efforts to live a meaningful life. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, particularly maybe when we're younger, we may turn to the wrong source for help in making decisions, when we have to face difficult choices. Who do we turn to for help? Who do we turn to for advice on making difficult decisions? You know, I really respect older people, and I hate to see in our culture today that there's a decline, I believe, there's a decline in the attitude of respect for the young toward the older generation. I think we've seen that. And that ought not to be. Uh, I think the older generation needs to be honored. They need to be revered. And that needs to be brought back. It needs to be something that's paramount in our culture. 
because, you know, a culture that comes to the point where it doesn't appreciate and value the old, the aged, is really a lost culture in many respects. But having said that, <clears throat> just because a person may have reached advanced years and maybe received acclaim in a given field of work uh, from others doesn't always mean that he has the wisdom to advise you regarding decisions that you ought to make. You know, you ought not just depend upon that individual just because he appears to be aged and maybe has some wisdom there. And just because a person may have accumulated a great amount of wealth, maybe somebody's done well financially, uh, just because they've done that doesn't always demonstrate wisdom in making our own decisions or that that person can advise us in the right decisions that we ought to make. I'll give you a couple examples here. In Job chapter 32 and verse 9, it says, Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. In other words, just because you're older doesn't necessarily mean that you ought to be the one giving the advice. Now, I think it's important that uh, we can look to the aged for a lot of answers. And there have been many times when I've turned to those who are older that can give me insight on some problems and situations that I may see or have in my life that they've been able to help me. But just because of that in and of itself doesn't mean it's a good source. Also, uh, our confidence in the person we seek to advise us must be based upon our belief that he can help us see the right decision to make. I know when my son was, uh, of course, he made up his mind when he was 15 that he was going to be a Marine. That's what he was going to do. And, you know, he had a 4.0 average, and he was going to do his best, and he transformed his body. He was the starting center on the football team his sophomore year. He transformed his body from 210 pounds down to 165, fit and trim, gave up football his senior year, you know, because any kind of concussion would put you in a 12-month waiting period. He wasn't going to take a chance on that. So he got a full ROTC scholarship to Auburn. Sorry I said that word. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, he got a good education there. But for a while there, he grappled hard. He always wanted to just enlist. You know, we tried to tell him, please, please go in as an officer. You can be so much better off in the long run. And we gave him all the pros and cons. But, you know, for a while there, he just wanted to enlist and go right in the infantry. And uh, just make a long story short, you know, I set up meetings with several people that I knew that, you know, were in the Marine Corps who had served. And they tried to advise him in that way. And usually it's me that doesn't mind my own business, but my wife uh, called the major uh, one night that kind of got him into all this and told him that what my son might be planning to do just to enlist. And so he came down to Auburn and gave my son a, a good talking to, maybe said some things in ways that he shouldn't. He said, don't make me come back down here, you know, uh, again, you need to be an officer. So you, and so he never questioned that again, you know. But the point is, you know, that's a difficult decision. I couldn't really advise him on that. I could see the pros and cons of certain things, right? But I wanted to try to get 
him to hear from those that had served in the Marine Corps as officers and as enlisted. And uh, I'm thankful he made the right choice. And I think he feels good about his choice now that he's made it, particularly since he's got a you know, wife and two kids now. And he don't want to haul that 115-pound backpack all over the country either. Uh, but anyhow, choices are difficult in life. And it's important that we go to the right source for the proper information that we need. And so if our standard is faulty, oftentimes what's going to happen to us? What will our decisions be if our standard's faulty? Our decisions will be faulty, won't they? You know, if we don't have the right standard to follow, we're not going to make good decisions. Now, if our standard is high and righteous, it will help us to make better decisions. It will help us to understand more clearly the distinction between the choices that we have. You know, when it comes to, for example, our occupation in life or where we want to move, you know, we think about the decision Lot made, right? He chose the better land. He pitched his tent toward where? Sodom. We know the story, don't we? We know what happened. Eventually, he lived in Sodom. And what happened in the end there? He lost his daughters and in-laws and ultimately his wife, you know, turned into a pillar of salt. You know, it was a choice that wasn't necessarily evil in and of itself. I don't want to just necessarily condemn him for the choice, but it's a choice that did not examine all the facts as they needed to be examined. And uh, we need to understand that our choices in life uh, have consequences. You know, if I'm a young family man and I want to move to a particular city, you know, because it's got a good golf course, you know, or it's got this or that and all these amenities and so forth, what about my family if I'm a Christian? You know, what about uh, the church that my family might attend? Should that not be the most important thing? You know, I need to think about the basis on which I make my decisions in life. And I need to make sure that the spiritual parameters uh, take precedence over anything physical that might come about. And I think that's very, very important for us to understand. You know, part of the problem we face regarding the making of proper decisions it's found in questions, I believe, that have been raised from many modern sources concerning whether or not we have the right to really classify anything as good or evil, right or wrong, you know, good or bad. You know, we live in a culture today in which the standard of objective truth is frowned upon, isn't it? You know, people believe today we don't have an objective body of truth. There's nothing just right or wrong? And uh, who are you to determine what's right? Who are, who are you to say that this is right and this is wrong? And of course, the uh, writer of the Hebrew letter pointed out that the ability to make such discernments was evidence of spiritual maturity. He said, strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14. And so there's a lot of people today that would say when it comes to making decisions that any decision you make 
that seems like it's best for you ought to be the decision that you make. You know, there's no real standard of right and wrong, okay? There's no good or evil as such. It's up to the individual. And that leads us to the idea of relativism. A lot of people today would have us to believe that the right or wrong of anything is up to the mind of the person involved in making the decision. In other words, it might be right for me, but it's wrong for you. It might be wrong for you, but it's right for me. Who are you to judge me in the decision that I make? You know, we hear that kind of uh, uh, talk in regard to moral issues today, like, you know, same-sex marriage and abortion and things of that nature. It's a relative thing. It's up to the individual to make his own decision. Whatever's good for the individual, that's the decision that needs to be made. And if you, if you use the standard the world goes by, it's going to lead a lot of problems, right? And ultimately, it's going to lead us away from God's standard that he set forth in his word. And so it just leaves the entire uh, process of decision-making to the individual uh, to make determinations of what's right or wrong without benefit of an overriding standard by which such things can be measured and determined. Now, I believe with all my heart that there is an objective standard of truth that we have to go by. And, of course, that ultimate standard is God's word, isn't it? God's authority determines any matter as being right or wrong. Now, you know, of course, there's some gray areas along the way, and I'm more of a black and white person, you know. Uh, you know, it's either good or bad rather than the gray area. Younger generation has a lot more gray areas, I guess, than I might have. But, uh, you know, we've got to realize, though, as, as I make those decisions, no matter where I'm at, there's got to be the standard that I'm going to follow, that I'm going to determine that the decision that I make is going to be right with God and according to objective truth. And uh, the right or wrong of a position, it, it cannot be a matter of a personal opinion. You know, it cannot be a matter of personal preference. Uh, that reflects the uh, lack of truth or facts. It's got to be based on something solid, something that we can depend on. Uh, it indicates that there's a standard higher uh, than ourselves uh, by which our lives and our personal conduct and the decisions that we make can be measured. And the Bible clearly reveals the benefits of when we make good decisions and do right. For example, in Proverbs 14, verse 12, a familiar passage, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but what? The end thereof are the ways of death. I mean, there's a way that seems right unto a man, and we can apply that to many subjects, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In Isaiah 5 and verse 20, there's a verse passage there that I think is very applicable to our culture today. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. Now, I'm just amazed today as I watch the news, and as I've said before, if you watch a lot of the news, you'll go crazy. I wouldn't recommend that. But if you, if you kind of keep up with what's going on in our culture, it's amazing today what some people are actually advocating for, isn't it? Uh, 
Now, I've got time to go into all that tonight. But I'm just totally dumbfounded that people could actually believe this stuff, you know, and, and, and uh, try to teach this stuff to young people. In our colleges, that's where it's really, really affecting young people. Uh, you know, these liberal arts colleges are, uh, you know, fuming forth their propaganda on some of these uh, issues of morality and other issues that are impacting our culture and our society. And uh, we need to make sure, as we think about making decisions, that we use the right standard. And we need to be aware of what's going on in our culture. And just because somebody says it's good, because the majority says it's right, doesn't necessarily mean that it is right or wrong. Now, quickly, the Bible contains many examples of the presence of this problem regarding decision-making in our lives throughout, you know, the ages past. Let me give you an example or two. There's the example of the young prophet in 1 Kings chapter 13. He made the wrong decision because he believed a lie that was told to him by the old prophet. The young prophet had gone to Bethel, as God instructed him to do, <coughs> to deliver the message of God. He had been told what to do, and he said it. He had been told not to remain in the city, and he departed. He had been told specifically how to return from the city, and he made the beginning of his homeward journey. But in spite of that, there was this old prophet that deceived him and lied to him. And he told this young prophet of a revelation that he supposedly received. And uh, the young prophet, you know, you need to go back, you know, with me in, into the city and so forth and eat with me and so forth. And, you know, we know what happened as a result of that. And uh, we too need to listen to God as he speaks to us through his word. We need to listen to what he says in preference to the doctrines and the philosophies and the teachings and the advice of men. You know, one thing we try to impress upon those that come to our food pantry and clothes closet and in our Bible class is that the Bible is the objective standard that we are to follow. I tell them, don't you believe what I say just because I say it. You don't believe your preacher just because he says it. You need to be able to go to the Bible. You need to be able to find you know, what the Bible says about it, because that's the only thing that matters. That has to be your ultimate authority when it comes to salvation, when it comes to how you live your life, or any such matter. And so we have an example of the old prophet. Also, Jesus told of a rich man in Luke chapter 16 who failed to make the right decision because of his selfishness. You know, that rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he was so wrapped up in himself, he was totally unmindful of the poor beggar Lazarus who laid at his gates full of sores, you know, just desiring the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And yet, <clears throat> when that rich man found himself in torment, he pleaded with Father Abraham to let Lazarus dip the tip of his finger in water and just touch his tongue because he said, I am tormented in this flame. Now, that rich man realized all too late that Selfishness is not going to lead to a life, a meaningful life here on this earth or in the life to come. And uh, he knew there, were, there was a terrible price to pay because of it. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 10, we read of the poor decision that Martha made 
I mean, when Jesus was visiting the home there in Bethany, you know, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, and it apparently, you know, uh, Jesus loved them and they loved him. However, during this visit, Martha made a decision to go about doing the household chores and busy herself with other things rather than sitting down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus made the point, you know, that Mary had chosen the better part. You know, there's other things that might need to be done, but the choice you need to make right now is to listen to God. Another example is found in John chapter 8, in verse 3 beginning, where a self-righteous man uh, brought a woman taken in adultery to Jesus to be judged. Uh, these men were ready to stone this woman to death so that they might prove their point. And uh, there are a number of factors here that indicate the poor decision they made. First of all, they didn't take, bring the man, right? The law said they need to bring the man. But they didn't bring the man uh, along with the woman. But, you know, the law of Moses is very specific. Also, it was apparent that they weren't really sincere in their efforts to uphold the law of Moses. They were just trying to trap Jesus in this. It's also apparent in the text that the men very quickly... <coughs> wanted to, uh, you know, see and present sin in the life of somebody else while ignoring sin in their own lives. And so they wanted to compare their righteousness with that of another in order to make themselves look bigger. And so they made the wrong decision. Now, I'm going to close out my thoughts on this lesson, and I hope, I think we're going to finish this tonight. Since the problem of making the right decisions is one that's common to all of us, there's some factors here that it's on your lesson sheet there that will help us in making right decisions. I want you to look at these nine suggestions. Number one, develop a strong faith in God through a daily study of his word, right? You know, you need to grow your faith as you study God's word. Number two, let the hope of spending eternity with God serve as an anchor for the soul and allow that hope to prevent you from drifting into uh, troublesome and dangerous areas of activity and involvement. Keep your hope in Christ alive. Number three, demonstrate the kind of love for God and for one another that ought to be characteristic of a Christian. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? We demonstrate our love for others, not by just words, but by deeds. Number four, know that you have the courage to do what's right, even when it's not the popular thing to do. That's the most difficult thing, isn't it? We want to be accepted by others. And so you do what's right, even though it's not the popular thing to do. Uh, number five, let sincerity be the key word in all your efforts to please God and in your efforts to follow the example and teachings of Jesus. You be sincere as you examine the teachings of Jesus and as you look at decisions you need to make in your life. Number six, be on constant guard against allowing improper motives from controlling or influencing your decision-making process. You know, we have a lot of fleshly lusts that war against the soul, materialism, a desire for wealth, lustful passions. And we need to make sure that these improper motives don't take over and become paramount in our decision-making process. Also, number seven, as an intelligent being, use the ability that God has given you to investigate, to study, and thereby base your decisions on proper knowledge. In other words, use your common sense, you know, that God's given you. Take what his word says and do what it says. Number eight, having established your convictions and your standards, you must uphold these principles 
in all the decisions you make rather than compromising and abusing them. Just like Daniel in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, right? He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat or king's mind. He made his mind up beforehand. And then number nine, take all the choices you face to God in prayer before you make your decisions, and he will help you to have the strength and the wisdom you need to make the right decision. And I really believe if you apply these principles to your life, if you're honest with yourself, you're going to end up making the decision that you need to make. And there can be no room for doubt in our minds that God wants us to make the right decisions regarding the choices that we make in life. Uh, his blessings are available to all those who seek his help. And uh, this increases our confidence that God is for us. He will help us fight the battles of life each day. And uh, if we're going to live a meaningful life, when it comes to the decisions that we make, those decisions are going to have a strong impact on who we are, what we become, where we spend our eternity, and ultimately, it's going to impact others as well. All right, any comments or questions? i got one minute to go. We finished that lesson. How about that? I'm sorry I rushed it. If you feel like I rushed it, I'm sorry. But I, I, I just didn't want to start this lesson again next week. Uh, I want to start lesson three. Any comments y'all want to make? Any observations? Well, I'll say thank you for coming. I uh, hope you have a good rest of the week. Thank you.